0: This morning, I'd like for you to think about a couple of questions. Hopefully, these questions will set the stage for understanding Psalm 15 as we continue our series entitled Finding Purpose in the Psalms. I'd like for you to think about this question this morning. How did you prepare today to come and worship the Lord? How did you prepare What did you do to get ready? Is any preparation necessary? Or should we just come as we are? Just let that one hang for a minute out there, sorry. I'm not trying to start a fight this morning, really there's a related but slightly different question that we want to consider. What kind of person may come before the Lord? Isn't that really what we're talking about? Isn't that really what worship is about? Entering into the presence of Almighty God? If that's so, and I think it is, then don't you think it would be important for us to at least consider the question of exactly who may come before the Lord? I know that's not really a popular question in our day and age, a day in which inclusivity is is all the rage. We don't want to exclude anyone. We want to go out of our way to make sure that we don't set up any barrier to anyone in our society. And so in an effort to be more inclusive, we might neglect this question. Well, I didn't make this question up. It's not my question. If it was, that would probably not be a very good place for us to start. But this is the question that David asks in the very first verse of our psalm today. And then he spends the next four and a half verses answering that question. And he concludes the psalm with a promise of blessing on the one who does indeed worship the Lord. So I want to take a few minutes this morning to consider exactly what he says And then try to figure out how this applies to us today because I want to be very, very careful how we treat this particular psalm. But look with me at Psalm 15, verses 1 through 5. The psalmist writes this, Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill He who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart, he who does not backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors those who fear the Lord. He who swears to his own hurt and does not change, he who does not put his money out at usury, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. Let's just pray briefly, if you, if you will, with me. I'd like to ask the Lord to help me today as I share this message with you. Heavenly Father, again, I come to you this morning, and I have to admit, I feel... challenged to try to bring this message this morning as i've thought about it and reflected on and studied on it i just feel like this is something i have a hard time getting my my mind around a hard, hard time getting in the position i need to be in lord i need you i need you to give me wisdom to speak I need your spirit, Lord, not just to strengthen me, but also to work in each and every heart here this morning so that your word can have power. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to see exactly what this psalmist is saying. and Help us to see just how desperately we need you. Lord, I pray that you'd open our eyes. To the truth that you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Starting in verse 1, and this is a really, really, really simple outline, okay? I mean, it's just simple as it gets. The first verse, we have the question. The question. Really, David asked two questions. He says, this Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? But the really one question asked in parallel form, who may abide in your tabernacle, speaks of being a guest in the Lord's tent. Lord, who do you invite to be your guest in your dwelling place? The second question, who may dwell in your holy hill? I think holy hill is certainly a reference to Jerusalem. And the question here speaks of lying down or pitching a tent in this place that God has chosen for his home. In, in both of these two questions that are really one, there, there's not any sense of permanence these two these two verbs abide and dwell are, are have the idea of a temporary place. I don't think that he's talking here about going to heaven, okay permanently dwelling with the Lord. There's a temporary sense here. He's talking instead about entering into the Lord's presence here on earth. At this point in time in this life, who may enter, into your presence who may come before you the focus here is on the level of familiarity or comfort that someone can have being in close proximity to the great covenant keeping god and so the one question if i were to just summarize it is basically this who may rightly worship the lord that's what david is asking Lord, who has the right to come into your presence? Who do you invite to be near you? Who can be comfortable coming before you? Right. Who has the right to worship you? That's the question that David begins this psalm with. Who may rightly Worship the Lord. And he doesn't just ask the question, he answers it. Look at how he answers it in verse 2. He who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart, he who does not backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors those who fear the Lord, he who swears to his own hurt and does not change, he who does not put out his money at usury, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. I call this entire middle section of the psalm the answer okay. the answer it's actually 11 different answers if you want to look at it that way. The answer though, notice how he answers the question. And this is important. see when he asks the question who? may come before you. Lord, who is able to enter your presence? Who can come and worship you? He doesn't follow that up with a whole list of rituals, right? Prerequisites that you can perform, external factors, you know, like the place or position of our birth, our economic or social status, gender, the color of skin, none of those things apparently are factors when it comes to worshiping the Lord. Instead, instead of giving us a list of things, here, do these things, here's ten things you can do, and then you'll be prepared to come worship the Lord. He doesn't do that. Instead, he forces us to look within ourselves, to assess our character and he emphasizes the highest of standards of human behavior and character. Righteousness and truth. These traits define worshipers whom the Lord finds acceptable. And so he begins in verse 2 saying three things. Right? If you desire to worship The Lord, you must walk uprightly. You must do what is right. And you must believe the truth. To walk uprightly means to be blameless or complete. The word has the idea of wholeness. It speaks of living with consistency and integrity what you see is what you get the man who walks uprightly is trustworthy because he does not live deceitfully you must walk uprightly but he's also conscientious this is important as well he's conscientious to do what is right this person gives attention to the details of his life so he doesn't cut corners Or bend the rules. He's not careless. Because he wants to make sure that what he does is right. And it's not just his actions that are right. His very thoughts are based on the truth. This is exactly the opposite, by the way, of the fool from Psalm 14 and verse 1. Who says in his heart, there is no God. Deceiving himself. No, the true worshiper here. Doesn't deceive himself or follow his heart. He speaks truth to his heart and to himself. And so he presents in verse 2 these three qualities which must be present in your life if you're going to worship the Lord walk uprightly, do what is right, believe the truth. But these are not really very specific. We want to know how these things work out in the real world. And I think that's what he shows us in the next verses. Look at verse 3. He who does not backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend. It seems to me that the three uh, points of verse 3 correspond to the first part of verse 2, the part that says you must walk uprightly. Talking here about being a person of integrity. See, to be a person of integrity means, in this verse, at least he identifies it in three ways: that you must not use your words to hurt, that you must not intentionally do evil to someone, and you must not entertain negative opinions. Of others. See, these are the three things that he says there in verse 3. The kind of person that he's talking about here does not slander or pass on stories which may or may not be true. He's not a gossip and he doesn't use his tongue to destroy another person's reputation okay, or to injure or to cause pain. The psalmist goes on to say this man does no evil to his neighbor which means he does not bring calamity or hardship to another person. The word neighbor there in verse 3 is a very general term that that can mean a family member, a close friend, sometime acquaintance, or just about anyone that you meet. The point is here that this person does not intentionally cause trouble for anyone. And the third point that that he draws here is that he does not take up reproach against his friend. This phrase is a little bit more difficult and and uh, different people disagree on exactly what it means. But I think he's talking here about what a person chooses to listen to. Okay. And so in this verse we have what you say, what you do, and what you hear, what you listen to. It's not just that, that, that he doesn't say or do hurtful things. He refuses to even entertain negative thoughts about other individuals. He assumes the best about them and does not listen to others when they share opinions that paint others in a bad light. I think this is what it, it looks like to be a person of integrity. I think verse 3 highlights for us and maybe offers us more of a description of that first phrase from verse 2, that walking uprightly, being a person of integrity. has a lot to do with how you use your mouth. But there's more. Verse 4, he says, In whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors those who fear the Lord. These two lines form a, uh, a, a specific kind of parallel that's often used in Hebrew poetry. It, it's more common in the book of Proverbs than really anywhere else. But it's, it's where two ideas are contrasted. But, but because of the nature of the way that it's constructed, as we read them together, they, shine, they shed light on each other. The contrast is important. The question, of course, that we're trying to answer is this. Who may rightly worship the Lord? And in addition to being a person of integrity, you must also believe the truth. I think that's what verse 4, the first two parts of verse 4 are really talking about here. It's about believing the truth. I think he's expanding on what he said in verse 2 about believing the truth, about speaking truth in his heart. You see, because believing the truth means agreeing with God about both what is good and what is evil. So this is what you must do. You must hate what God hates, and you must love what God loves. This is the requirement. The first line of verse 4 literally says this, In whose eyes the despised person is despised. In whose eyes the despised person is despised. It means that the true worshiper hates sin just like God hates sin. He doesn't pretend that sinners are good people, nor does he love something that God hates. It's kind of hard to to walk out on this particular plank because it's uncomfortable we don't like to admit it the truth is the bible teaches that god hates sin but the bible also teaches not only that god hates sin but that god hates sinners those who refuse to repent Those who refuse to find forgiveness in him. Who treat his grace with contempt. Those who turn away from his outstretched hands. Don't take my word for it. It's exactly what Psalm 5 says. Where David writes, The boastful shall not stand in your sight. You hate all workers of iniquity. You shall destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors bloodthirsty and deceitful men. Those are very strong words. But they express beyond any doubt how the Lord looks at those who are sinful rebels. But on the other hand, what about those who honor the Lord, who show reverence and respect for Him? Well, the man who would worship the Lord Must also show them honor. Want to understand what he means here when he's talking about despising the despised person and honoring the one who honors the Lord? He's talking here about more than how we feel. Okay. He's talking about what we do. He's talking here about who we follow. Because. The one who is honored is followed. And this man who would worship the Lord does not follow the vile person, the despised person. He honors, follows the one who fears the Lord. Seeks to imitate those who honor the Lord. See, that's what he's talking about here. Pattern of life. Thursday night, my wife and I were watching the uh, halftime ceremony honoring Brett Favre and retiring his uh, number with the Packers. And uh, you know, I'm not—I know this is sacrilege. I, I shut the game off before, you know, before the start of the third quarter and didn't watch any of the second half. Um, I went to bed. So sorry. Anyways, watch the halftime uh, ceremony. That was interesting to me. Um, but you know, after after Brett Favre had said a few words, they brought out another famous Green Bay quarterback, right? Bart Starr. They they rode him, he rode out on a field on the field, you know, in a in a golf cart to a very loud and long ovation. And as the camera followed, he and his wife Cherry. I said to Pauletta. I said he played back when you could actually consider them role models. You know. I said this was a, th- things were a little different back then, you know, with some athletes. We've come a long way as a society, and not necessarily in a positive direction. I don't know, but it makes a pretty big difference who you, whom you follow, doesn't it? When it comes to professional athletes. It's possible to still find some who are committed to excellence and hard work, playing by the rules, honoring the Lord with their talents. There's some out there. But there are plenty of drunkards and drug addicts, violent and abusive men and women who will do anything to gain an advantage, whether it's within the rules or not. Of course, I'm sure there probably were plenty back in that, back in those days, too. But if you're going to choose a role model, you better be careful about who you follow. Right? More importantly, and this is, I think, what David is getting at here, more importantly, you better make sure you believe God's word so that you do not honor those who are wicked and despise those who are honorable. You know, I was thinking this week about it. We've, we've we've talked in in the, in the years I've been here. We've talked a lot about truth and our commitment to truth as a church. And I think you know sometimes we we might be posed we might be posed the question why why does truth matter so much to us? Should truth matter so much? Shouldn't we care more about people, you know, than we care about the truth? I thought about it, the problem here in verse 4 is that if we care more about people than we care about the truth, we're going to have a tendency to honor those who are despised and to despise those who honor the Lord. We're going to find ourselves in a situation where we turn our back on the word of God and the truth of God. And we'll find ourselves honoring those who are despised and despising those whom the Lord would seek to honor. That's not how it ought to be. We need to be committed to truth. We need to believe the truth so that we despise. vile. And we honor the honorable. That's how it ought to be. That's how it is for the man who would worship the Lord. David is still not finished answering his question from verse 1. And so he continues in verse 4, he who swears to his own hurt and does not change, he who does not put out his money at usury, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent, and see, if you're going to worship the Lord, then you cannot go back on your word. You must not take advantage of others. And you must not ignore justice. Injustice, I think I typed that wrong, sorry. You must not ignore injustice. Notice how he describes this man at the end of verse 4. He makes a promise. And even when it becomes painful or costly for him to keep his word, he doesn't change it. He says swears to his own hurt. I don't think he's talking here about putting himself in a bad situation. He's simply, I think, talking about keeping his word even when it costs him, even when it hurts to follow through. He pays what he owes. Not just what his creditors can be made to accept. And he does so because he has agreed to pay it in the first place. Once he gives his word, he does not go back on it. And then in verse 5, he talks about this man and he talks about making a loan. Okay. It literally says, he who does not put out his money to bite. He who does not put his money out to bite. Think about that. Can money be used to bite? Of course, in ancient Israel, the law was such that if your Israelite brother came to you and had a need of a loan, you were to loan him whatever he needed at no cost. Okay. Loans between Israelite brothers were intended to be interest understand in this context as we look at today I don't think that means that it's I don't think it's wrong for us to be involved in getting interest but there's a difference between using good business practices to make a profit and then taking advantage of those who can't afford to give up We can't afford it. There's a way that those who have resources can use them to take advantage of those who do not. We see a lot of that in our society today, too. Rather than helping them to be independent, we enslave them, and we create generational poverty. course, we do it under the guise of helping. But I think the warning here is of using your resources, putting out your money to bite, using your resources to take advantage of those who are in a needy situation. This man who worships the Lord does not use his money to trap others in debt. Not only will he not take advantage of the poor, he will not accept a bribe. You see, it's not enough for him to say, hey, I'm not abusing the poor. He's not going to look the other way while other people do that. This is the man who does what is right. And so those three points in verse 2, I think, are, are, are expanded in the following verses. We have the answer to our question. Our question was who may rightly worship the Lord? And the answer, according to this psalm, is the man who walks uprightly, who does right and believes the truth. And then David concludes the psalm with the very last part of verse 5, what I call the blessing. He who does these things, he says, shall never be moved. There's a promise here for all those who desire to worship the Lord, who live with integrity, who do what is right and always speak the truth. And here's the promise. You cannot fall. That's what he says. You'll never be moved. You cannot fall. It has the idea of an earthquake. But when the earthquake comes, he doesn't fall. The world around may crumble. This is God's guarantee. Those who come before him, morally upright and obedient, loving the truth, will never be put to shame. And David presents it to us as a promise that even though the whole world may crumble, we can stand with confidence in his presence, knowing that he will uphold us and preserve us. I don't know about you, but if to be okay, I gotta tell you this. If I were you right at this moment, I would be a little bit. about what he says next about what he better be saying next because as I've been thinking through this as I'm I'm preaching this this morning there's something missing here if I stop right now and walk out the door what's missing? what have I left out? say well you've you've gone through all the verses of Psalm 15 and skip a verse there's something missing do you know what it is one thing we can't afford to miss if we miss this then everything that I've just said rather than being helpful is hurtful to you if we miss this one thing then everything that I have said up to this point is actually harmful to you We have to put this in a proper perspective. Let me give it to you in the form of a question. Is Psalm 15 giving us a description of a true worshiper of God? Or is Psalm 15 giving us a prescription of what a worshiper of God ought to be? put it a different way is david telling us how we can become true worshipers or is he describing to us what true worshipers are like let's use david himself as a case study to decide what he means here okay just think about david for a minute did David want to worship the Lord? I think we I mean I think we can say yes. Okay. Based on what we know of David from the Word of God, we can say yes. Here okay, this is the second question, and this is where it gets a little bit trickier. Okay. Was David a man of integrity who did what was right and remained faithful to the truth? It's a yes or no question. No. If you know anything about David's life, you have to say no. David was an adulterer, a liar, a deceiver, a murderer, a terrible father to some of his children. That's just the stuff we know about, by the way. That's just the stuff that was written down. I'm so glad. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so glad that there's no book about my life being written to be, I hope there's not a book about my life being written <laughs> to be <laughs> recorded someday. Oh, <laughs> <coughs> oh, man. That's just the stuff we know about. You think about that? That's just the, the, the handful of things in David's life that we have recorded for us 3,000 years later. The rest of the story, David's glad we don't know it. How could David possibly worship the Lord? If Psalm 15 is true at all, how could David possibly worship the Lord? How could he go into the tabernacle to offer sacrifices? How could he... Uh, burn incense, how could he pray? If what we know about David, about the man he was and the things that he did is true, and if what he wrote in Psalm 15 is true, how in the world could David go before the Lord and offer worship? Let me ask the same question of you. If Psalm 15 was a test to determine your fitness to worship the God of heaven, would you pass? Is there any scenario by which you could offer worship that is acceptable to the Lord? As I answer that for myself, the answer is no. There's no circumstance in which I can read Psalm 15 And apply that to my life and say, yeah, I can do this. I can come before the Lord. I can enter into his tent. I'm welcome there. I'm invited there. I can lie down and rest there. can't do it. I asked the question at the beginning of the message. About what you did to prepare to come and worship the Lord today. After reading this psalm, I wonder if you are really prepared. By that I don't mean, did you clean yourself up? Shower and shave, you know? Brush your hair out? Put on clean clothes? I, I don't mean by that either, are you a good enough person? Because what you don't see in, in, in Psalm 15 is you do not see uh, cleaned up, or good enough anywhere in the psalm. Instead, what we see is we see a standard of righteousness and moral perfection that is impossible for us to attain. Let's be honest this morning. You're not good enough to enter the Lord's presence. You're not good enough to worship the Lord if this is the standard that he requires and let me go even one step further David says this is the standard that he requires we got a problem we got a problem if this is the standard and David says it is if this is what the man must be like before he can enter the Lord's presence before he can worship the Lord what are we supposed to do? The good news is David is not giving us a list of rules. He's not giving us guidelines to follow in order to make ourselves good enough to worship the Lord. See, if we're not careful, and this is why I said it would be harmful to you if I didn't continue, because Psalm 15, if we read this and we say, okay, well, okay, I'll work on that one. I'll work on that, sure. doesn't backbite with his tongue. Yeah, I'm Okay, I'll work on that. I'm pretty good with that, you know. I, but I'll work on it. Doesn't do evil to his neighbor. No, I don't do evil to my neighbor. I mean, he's a nice guy. I'm, i treat him well, you know. Uh, oh yeah, don't take up a reproach against his friend. No, no, no. I love my friends. I wouldn't do that. No, no, not at all. Uh, the vile person is despised. Yeah, I'm not completely comfortable with that, but uh, okay, you know. <coughs> Sure, I don't take bribes. know I, I can do these things. At least most of them, I think like seven, I'm good. And then the other ones I'll work on. Okay. David's not doing that. He's not giving us a, a self-help guide here. He is describing what we become when we receive God's grace. See, I asked earlier, is this a description of a true worshiper or is it a prescription Understand, it's a description. This is describing what a true worshiper is like. It is not telling you this is what you should become like. He's not saying, here's your to-do list this week. Go home, do these ten things, come back next week and worship the Lord. That's not what he's saying. How do I know that? Well, elsewhere in Psalm 130, the psalmist says this, and I love this. This is incredible can't wait to get to Psalm 130 now, okay? Psalm 130. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities. Oh Lord, who could stand? What's the answer to that question? Lord, if you're going to if you're going to keep uh, track of iniquities, Lord, who can stand? No one. But, he says, there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. God, if you regard my iniquities, I cannot stand. See, this is the beauty of it. In Psalm 15, David is not telling us to clean ourselves up before we come to worship the Lord. He is saying, however, that we cannot worship God with sinful hearts and lives. And so the only solution to our problem The only solution to our problem is to be cleansed of our sin. To be made right. And that can only be done by the blood of a sacrifice for sins. You know, David believed God's word. And so what did David do? He offered sacrifices as the law demanded for his sin. And so he trusted in God's forgiveness and he came to worship the Lord. Yes, the liar, deceiver, adulterer, and murderer, he came. He came and stood before the Lord. He came and worshipped. He entered into the presence of the Lord. Even as he wrote Psalm 15. Why? Because he believed that God had forgiven his sins because he obeyed and trusted the Word of God. Well, guess what? You and I do not live under that same law. But we must believe what the Scriptures say. That Jesus came to earth the one and only Son of God, eternally God, yet becoming a man. And why would he do such a thing? So he could offer himself as the final sin offering, the once-for-all sin offering. You can only be cleansed by the blood of the sacrifice for sins, but Jesus Christ is that sacrifice for your sins it's by faith in his sacrifice that we can be saved from our sin again this is not about self-reformation this is not about cleaning ourselves up and making ourselves presentable this is not about us being good enough for God this is about us being cleansed being made new so that we can stand before the Lord in pure and perfect holiness. And it's only when we've been forgiven by God as a free gift and cleansed from all unrighteousness that we can worship Him. It's only then that we can pray to Him and be heard. It's only then that we can hope to stand firm when everything around us is shaken And destroy it. And so this morning, it is very, very important. It's time for you to be honest with yourself about where you stand. Do you even want to worship the Lord? Last week we studied Psalm 14. The rebel in Psalm 14 says, No God for me. That's what he says. I will not submit to any god. I will be Lord. If that's where you are in your heart this morning, determined to chart your own path, determined to make your own decisions, determined to be the lord of your own life, and there's nothing I can do for you. There's nothing anyone can do for you. You can't worship the Lord but then again, you don't really want to worship the Lord anyways. But if that's where you are, then that's where it stops. But if you do want to worship the Lord, if you want to come to know God, if you want to fellowship with Him and enjoy His presence, then you have to consider the standard that's set forth in this psalm. You have to consider this question and admit that that you cannot meet God's standard. If you really want to know Him and you really want to worship Him, you have to admit that you don't meet His standard. Are you willing to admit that today? Are you willing to admit that you are sinful? That you are unworthy to come before the presence of the very God of heaven. Well. If you're. Ready to admit that. Then there's good news. Because Jesus died for your sins. So that you could be forgiven. And enter into a relationship with your creator. If you will believe. What the Bible says. And so finally I ask this. Will you trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord. David says the man who does these things will never be moved. If you trust in the Lord and you come to him on the basis of his grace, you The world around you can crumble, can be shaken, can be destroyed, and you will stand in the presence of the Lord. That is the promised blessing of Psalm 15. Let's close with prayer.